Hey, everybody, another exciting episode for you today. Today, zooming in all the way from beautiful Edmonton, Alberta, we got Carlos Yona Lunas, who is a real estate entrepreneur who has seen it all when it comes to short-term rentals. He's got his own on the go. He's done Airbnb arbitrage. He's even worked with the city of Edmonton to get them straightened out and on track with the right way, <laughs> the right way to, to do permits for for short-term rentals. And, you know, he's also seen how things have changed over the years. So what used to work, even, you know, pre-COVID 2019 and be, before that, to today is very, very different. So looking forward to diving into that. Carlos, welcome to the show. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. So why don't you just kind of give everybody, uh, give our listeners a big picture overview of what does your portfolio look like today? What is, what is your primary focus? So first and foremost, I am a real estate investor. I like to buy the real estate. That being said, I have a portfolio of 12 short-term rental units, Airbnb units in, the, in around the city of Edmonton and like the greater area. So that includes some properties that I own, some properties that I've done joint ventures with, and some properties where I do what's called rental arbitrage. So I got a little bit of all three, and then I've, I started to pick up a couple of co-hosting. In the short-term rental world, it's not called property management, it's called co-hosting. Oh, right. So I've started to get into that with some people that I really like, <laughs> So because <laughs> that's one of the struggles. So. Finding people that you really like or, or finding deals that, that make sense to co-host on? Uh, the big thing with co-hosting is you have two customers, you have your... Yeah you know, Airbnb guests, and then you have the real estate investor. And a lot of real estate investors don't really understand short-term rentals. They mm. think it's just a money printing machine. So when January comes around and there's like no bookings, they're like, what's going on? Why <laughs> Where, is it doing so bad? What, what's up with this 97% vacancy rate in, in, in January in Edmonton? Makes no sense to me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's never that bad, but yep. that's, that's how they act whenever there's like a certain number of occupancy. So Makes sense, right? It's all about the education. Okay, so you've got a a kind of a, a good base of properties, some that you own, some that you've joint ventured on, some that you're doing the whole arbitrage thing. So why don't you just kind of explain the differences and the pros and cons of each one of those? So the ones that you own all by yourself, pros and cons of that, the joint venture versions, and then the rental arbitrage. Because a lot of people like that Airbnb arbitrage idea because they think, you know, they can get in with little or no money and, you know, it's, it's so easy and all that kind of stuff. So kind of, you, you've done it all. Explain the pros and cons, if you would, Carlos. Yeah. Um, so the, the first pro is when you own the property yourself, then you're the one who gets to pick the property. You can renovate it however you want. You can do whatever you want with the place. There's that pro where you have the complete control of the property and everything that goes into it. As well, all the money coming in is all yours. You're getting mortgage buy down, you're getting extra cash flow, you're getting as well, like you control the, the maintenance. So, you know, you're, you're figuring out ways to keep your maintenance costs down. You can do it yourself if you really want. Uh, there's a lot of pros with owning your own properties. You know, the main con is it's the slowest way to grow your portfolio because you have to save up a down payment. Typically, if you're owning it all yourself, you're qualifying for yourself. So there's challenges with that. So that's a little bit more of the con side is it's a slower method to grow. Right. Uh, the next type is joint ventures. Joint ventures, it's very similar to the thing 
everything with owning your own property, except you have another party you also have to keep happy. For me, I love doing joint ventures. I love getting into it. I've been brought on in a couple of deals is just the management tech. I've been given a share of the equity in exchange. I'm expected to handle everything. And I've had really great partners who we've set the structure up. So that way, anything that involves the Airbnb system is completely my, like I'm the end all be all with the decision-making there. Right. And then anything that involves like the financing and stuff like that, I'm out of that. That's all their parts. They're the ones dealing with all that stuff. So we really, I find it really effective when you have different lanes and you learn how to stay in your lanes. Obviously we'll talk about big expenses. Like with one of them, we want to add the dome tent to it. It's like a $10,000 expense. It'll dramatically increase uh, bookings in the off season and desirability of the property overall. So that's a bigger expense. So we still come together and we make a decision on what to do with the money. But when it comes to like, what artwork we're going to put on the wall here versus there. That's I, we don't need six people or two right. people making that decision. All right. So that's the joint venture version. And then uh, last but not least the arbitrage version, what's, what's the difference for you? Yeah. So arbitrage is really interesting in that when you can grow a portfolio really quickly, uh, for example, I have a property management company here at Edmonton that loves me. If I told them tomorrow, I want 50 units, they would find those for me and they would get them for me in a heartbeat. The, the problem is that you don't have any underlying asset. You're putting all your eggs into the cash flow basket. So that works really, really well when the cash flow is like great, like back when Airbnb was a novelty. But nowadays, when cash flows become tighter, there's more margins because there's more people in the game, or sorry, less margin because there's more people in the game. The it, it's a little bit more difficult to maintain a high level of cash flow. So I've actually shifted a lot of my um, arbitrage units away. I don't have as many anymore. I do have them still because in my system, I've got a lot of cleaners. These small, because I ended up getting a bunch of studio apartments downtown. These small units are great for me providing consistent work for my um, cleaners. So that way they always have stuff to do through the week. Because most of my portfolio now is in big houses, which typically have Sunday and Friday as the cleaning days, and then they're empty the rest of the week. So for me, I'm having that as part of my system. When it comes to just generally people getting into arbitrage, a lot of the easy money is gone. You yeah. can still make a lot of money if you're careful and you're selective, but the easy money's gone. And at the end of the day, you don't have an asset underlying. So there's nothing you really like, you know, 20 years from now, if you didn't make any cash flow, you didn't make anything. Right. And 20 years from now, if you're ready to sail off into the sunset, tough, right? You've, you've got nothing. You can't sell your portfolio really uh, because you're at the end of the day, you're kind of a, you're, you're kind of a go-between. You don't have the equity in those properties. You're just, you're just kind of controlling them temporarily. Yeah, there is um, like there is a big system of arbitrage. For example, there's a company called Sonder. I don't know if you've heard of it. They've no. got thousands of arbitrage units in the States, like 2,000. Um, they're essentially become just a money-making machine with investor money. Uh, and there's other companies where they do pick up like 200 units on their arbitrage. And right. then they sell that entire business. They sell the business, so not the property. They're, they're selling the- Exactly. The, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Okay, yeah. so- your preference these days is not so much on the arbitrage. That's because there's not, you know, there's so much competition. There's not a huge margin in that like there used to be, but it's a good way to keep your staff going and, and kind of keep the lights on. But the bigger bang for your buck are these larger, more deluxe type properties is what I'm understanding. Is that correct? Or are these kind of luxury type properties or, or what are we talking about there? Uh, high occupancy properties. Uh, I don't really go for like the mansions, but mm -hmm. I go, for example, in the Edmonton area, I have the biggest capacity house in the Edmonton area. It's an eight bedroom house. 
It was originally designed to be a boarding or like a rooming house for people with disabilities and assisted living. But uh, then the bylaws changed in the county. And so they were stuck with this house that doesn't attract the best kind of tenants. Mm. You either get large families that are hard on the property or you get sketchy people that just shove people into the property. But as an Airbnb, it's the best performer in all of Edmonton. It literally pulls in money hand over fist. Um, so I found that and I realized there's a little bit of a gap in the market there. So I'm picking up these units that are six bedroom, five bedroom, and focusing on those because they have the higher occupancy with the less competition. It is. So, so what is the occupancy for those kind of properties? Is, is that going to be a huge family or is that you're renting out each room separately to a different people? I don't do the, the room thing because it's, um, it's a lot more logistics. But also, if I rent out a room in the place and that night there's a last minute group that comes in at 16 people, I lose out on that booking. And right. the amount I'm going to get from a room, which will probably be like in that house, probably like 20 to 40 bucks for that night, mm-hmm. is nothing compared to like the $200 off I crash the prices per night on that place. So even the lowest amount of money I could make on a last minute booking is equal to five days of a, just a single room rental. So you're renting out the whole eight bedroom house to one, one customer. So who are these people that are they like hockey teams coming through or who's, who's using eight rooms at a house? (laughs) Well, yeah, we get a lot of family stuff. A lot of people coming to see family, a lot of big families. I'm in Alberta. So of course, tons of big families here. Um, The next probably biggest group would be, especially during April, like teenage youth sports teams. Okay, like right yeah. now, this weekend, we have uh, Lacombe's uh, U15 girls uh, soccer team in. So there's going to be like probably like 20 teenage girls running around screaming in the house. But <laughs> it's way cheaper for them to book an Airbnb yeah. than just to book hotel rooms. Yeah. So, so we have that going on. And then uh, the last major group would be corporate rentals. People coming for a corporate retreat. You know, you have eight employees. Each one of them wants their own room. They're not exactly tight knit. They don't want to be like yeah. sharing beds and stuff. So they prefer having each having their own room. So it's like eight people in this big house. Got it. And all right. And there's, and you say that's like your, your best performer right now. So it's staying occupied even during the week kind of thing is, or is it pretty much just a weekend situation for that? Um, during busy season. So busy yeah. season for us is April, um, the summer months and uh, December will have like 95% occupancy. So we'll be booked every single day, especially in the summertime. We get things like, like um, Indian weddings. So oh, Indian yeah. groups, yeah, it's a week long. It's a huge party. They have tons of family coming over. They, they book it for the whole week. So we get tons of those. Um, in the like slow months, like January, I'll, it'll become essentially just weekends only. So I'll get bookings every single weekend. Midweek, it'll be empty. I'll get the occasional booking in there or maybe a four-day booking on the weekend. But it's pretty quiet. So meanwhile, my downtown units, um, they always typically have like 80 to 90% occupancy. It's just the rates that go up and down. Right. In January, you're crashing your rates. There's a little bit of problem with downtown. Like I can crash my rates way lower in the suburbs than I can downtown because there's this weird thing where like these people who just somehow get a credit card, they book an Airbnb for as long as they can. And then they just trash the place. So there's like a little bit of like a glass bottom (laughs) downtown where I start to get get a bad kind of guest. So I'll have more vacancy there than I will in the suburbs. It's kind of funny that way. That is interesting. Yeah. So Carlos, what, what have you seen as the major shifts 
pre-COVID, post-COVID, well, pre-COVID, COVID, and post-COVID, what, what did you see happen? Because you mentioned that things have changed drastically. What used to work doesn't work anymore. Yeah. So pre-COVID, it was Airbnb was a novelty. Everybody had uh, was getting into it. Everyone was talking about it. A whole bunch of like municipalities were trying to figure out what to do with it. So people would literally rent houses. They would put like just the cheapest IKEA furniture they can into the house, and they pull in good money. They pull in good rates. Yeah. And back then, especially, you know, the the name of the game was to get all these little apartments, like little condos, little apartments. People would get a ton of those. COVID hit. And during that, especially like right before COVID, big houses were making a lot of money because there wasn't very many of us. Mm-hmm. COVID hit and the entire market flipped. So up until that point, it was starting to get saturated. But then all of a sudden, about 40% of hosts just disappeared. They all went to long-term rentals, either because they thought that there was going to be no rentals or they thought that there was going to be like a lot, COVID was going to be a lot more deadly than it was. Mm-hmm. So they were afraid of having to deal with people coming in. So there was a complete drop in the supply. And then there was like two months where we held our breath. Like April, May, nobody was traveling. Nothing was getting booked. Everyone was frozen. Then all of a sudden the bookings came in like crazy, just like nuts. We went from literally, I think over the course of a week from like, I think like 40% occupancy for the summer to 99% wow. at premium rates. And then uh, we ended up having a, during the summer, what we called the, um, the, the party apocalypse because bars were still closed halls were still closed clubs were still closed but people realized they could book an airbnb and throw their parties there <laughs> so it, it was a little bit of a headache that summer that was the only time i've ever had to really kick people out with parties was that summer yeah and then airbnb put the crack down and the hosts got really smart and all of a sudden the parties just disappeared after that but it was an adventure there and then yeah. After that, big houses, which were like really suffering at the start of COVID, they started to pick up near the end of COVID. And we had this weird like up and down thing. Lockdown, or lockdowns would come, everything would get canceled, things would crash, then lockdowns would leave and everything would right. like, shoot up. And it was right. a roller coaster. So we had like the winter of 2020 was like probably the worst we've ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I ended up ha- I getting into arbitrage right then and there to help my cleaners. And I regretted it. Mm-hmm. I lost money that winter, but then the summer of 2021, I made a lot of money. So yeah. it was a roller coaster. So what, what's the big difference between then and now? What, what are you doing completely differently than you did pre COVID? So now I always talk about Airbnb being a bell curve, you know, with long-term rentals, it's just supply and demand. It's just once your house is booked, it's off the market, then it's the next one, next one, next one. You're, and there's only going to be so many tenants moving into an area and that's it. And eventually, everyone will eventually get on booked. Sometimes you lower your price, sometimes you raise it. There's a whole bunch of little things you can do with long-term rentals. With short-term rentals, though, there's only so many people coming to a city every day. The best properties will get booked. And then the next best, next best, next best. Maybe one in like the middle will get booked because it's a better location. And the guys at the bottom get the leftovers. Mm-hmm. So uh, a, a property on the high end of the bell curve will constantly get those bookings. We'll get lots and lots of bookings at higher rates throughout the year. Ones at the bottom of the bell curve could go a month with no bookings. 
So that was a big thing that became a lot more dramatic nowadays. Um, so guests are looking for really nicely done properties. Like this property that I'm in right now, uh, the furniture here is way nicer than the stuff you can get at Ikea. It doesn't cost an arm and a leg because you know the right wholesalers to shop from, but they're looking for something that looks really good. They're looking for something that is aesthetically pleasing. They want artwork on the walls. They want little cute figurines on the tables, uh, centerpieces, things like that. A lot of little touches that people would ignore before are now important. Interesting. Yeah. And people also want like more themed properties, properties that have more of a, a nice decor look. Nobody, everybody and their dog has an executive luxury, modern downtown suite. So when you suddenly come in downtown with a rustic unit, you get all the attention because you're different. Uh-huh. Interesting. Yeah. So it really has gone more towards like the nice hotel room idea versus staying at the super eight kind of thing, right? That's it's, it's people are because back in the day when Airbnb first started, it literally was somebody renting out a room in their house kind of thing. And it, it has drastically changed since then. That's for sure. Yeah. It's like the Ronald McDonald downtown is a really fancy hotel. Um, looks like a castle. You go to that hotel, not because you need a place to sleep, but because you want to have the experience. Right. You go to the Fantasyland Hotel because you want to stay in the Roman room. You want an experience. Airbnbs have the same shift. They are becoming more of an experience kind of place. So as opposed to just a place to sleep. Interesting. Very cool. So Carlos, when you're doing the joint venture type Airbnb deals, how does that typically work? Because you, you mentioned something interesting that Sometimes people bring you on just as the short-term rental specialist in the deal. So they're bringing the deal to you, but you're still getting a piece of the equity uh, for managing that. Is that how that works or or did I misunderstand you? Yeah. So essentially there's a lot of co-hosting companies out there. Um, At the same time though, um, a co-hosting company, at the end of the day, they don't really care if you do super well. They're getting their... It depends. It varies anywhere from like 15 to 30% off the top and they're running a company and that's it. So I, I don't run a coasting company, but a lot of people want to work with me. So they, people will offer me to be the management partner. Mm -hmm. So I'll come in, I'll have more skin in the game because this is my property. And then I will, my company will run it. We'll take, uh, like the company itself takes a minimum cut because the other day we have employees that we have to Uh, but then the rest of it is just as if I'm another partner in the deal. I'm the one there fixing stuff. I'm the one there doing things where normally with a co-hosting company, you would outsource that because I own part of the property. I have an incentive to go fix it myself or send my cleaners who I just need to give them hours to go take care of it and not build right. little things like that. So yeah, it makes, at the end of- makes it makes a big difference. So are these properties, these are properties that people are bringing to you offering you the 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 deal to to come on board as the joint venture partners is that how i'm understanding it yeah that's a lot of them uh, i get a lot of those um i it's funny because with the the market crash and the real estate market uh i got a bunch of phone calls a lot of them were flippers and i don't know who's teaching this but these flippers are calling me and they all have the same pitch they're like hey i'd like to give you the opportunity to rent out my house and then you can airbnb it mm. and i'm always like dude first off you want me to pay 20% above market rent. I'm like, I want to pay 20% under or give me like four months free up front. Like let's negotiate that. Second off, man, like if I really wanted arbitrage units, I could get them no problem. 
mm-hmm. you coming at to me and being like, oh, look how nice I am. It's, it's that's not something that is a thing. So I don't know who's teaching it because I keep getting calls from people suffering this. And I'm like, I'm sorry, man. I hate to break your heart, but I'm not interested. I'm yeah, here's this here's this property you just overpaid for and paid too much to renovate and get it all organized. And now you're not able to sell it. So you want to, yeah, no, that makes sense. Now, do you do any deals where are you actually actively looking for properties and then doing it the other way around where you bring on a joint venture partner who, you know, brings in the cash and the credit to buy the property and then you kind of do it that way or is it a hundred percent the other way? No. Yeah. I, I still, I, I still am a real estate investor. At the end of the day, there's two parts. And I think this is where a lot of people make mistakes. You have the asset, but you're, when you buy real estate, you're not in the real estate business you're in the time salesmanship business. The property that you buy, you can't do anything really with except for hold it and sell it later. What you do is you sell time inside the property. You either do it wholesale, which is long-term rental, or you do it retail, which is short-term rental. So that's that's the one part of the business where people kind of get it mixed up a lot of the times I notice. Mm -hmm. When it comes to me personally, when buying real estate, I look for deals all the time. And most of the time, I'm just a buy and hold investor. I've done a couple little things here and there. I've done burrs and stuff like that. I've done a couple wholesale deals, but for the most part, I buy things for my portfolio. The last deal we just had, for example, is what we call an agreement for sale. It's a a type of structure. It's essentially similar to uh, seller financing. You're just arbitraging the underlying mortgage. I end up going to the person. He couldn't sell it. He bought another house. His family was moving into it. And so I, he mentioned to me that he was looking to sell his house. And I said, oh, that's awesome. I'm like, well, have you had any luck? And he's like, no, it's December. Everything's bad. I can't afford to pay these mortgage payments on two places for very long. Yeah. And I said, hey, you know, interest rates are a killer right now. I know you have an underlying mortgage there. Why don't we do what's called an agreement for sale? I'll take over your mortgage payments. And then we'll structure a way for me to pay your equity. Like, at the time, I think we ended up settling on Prime, which was like 5.1%. So I pay him, uh, essentially the first part of the mortgage is the TD mortgage. Mm-hmm. And that one's like 2.7%, I think. And it's like a hundred bucks or sorry, a thousand bucks a month is uh, $200,000 in equity. I'm paying him 5% and it's at about another thousand, 100 bucks ish. And then I'm paying for taxes and utilities. So I'm getting this property for 2,500 bucks a month. No qualifying, no bank dealing with or credit checks or anything like that. Yep. And it's in, and I took possession of it in February. And it's a beautiful property, well done property. It has a huge like addition put on the back of it. Awesome property. I was super excited for it to be an amazing Airbnb. But this was one of the times where my wife came up to me and said, "Hey, I really like this house." Like, <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> there you're done. You're you're living in it. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. So at the end of the day, I I got the house for zero zero dollars down, no cash. Well, that's that's yeah, that's awesome, Carl. That's a creative deal. But are you doing any joint venture deals with private money lenders or or joint venture partners where you're finding the property and they're putting up the cash and the credit to buy it and you're working together that way? Do you do that at all? Yeah, we had another property. Um, this was the first one where a lawyer torpedoed it, but um it was in Lansdowne. It was a six-bedroom property, three bedrooms up, three bedrooms down. Perfect for us. Um, it had an assumable mortgage underneath it from uh, one of the credit unions. So well, I went. That's home. that's very rare these days. That's for sure. Yeah. Wow. It was it, that was really fancy with it. There was about um, forty thousand dollars in equity that we needed to pay out. 
And we were just going to do an agreement for sale structure to keep it simple for that one. So we were going to give him 40,000. So I found a partner. I reached a guy reached out to me and mentioned, Hey, you know, I noticed you do Airbnbs. I'm like, yeah. And we chatted for a bit and he's like, yeah, yeah. I'm looking to do deals in the future. And I, I just, you know, I, I saved my own as John Doe looks for future deals. Mm-hmm. And then when this deal popped up about four months later, I ended up calling him back and I called like probably three or four people. But this was, he was the first uh, guy who called me back and he said, Hey, yeah, yeah, I'm totally down for it. So he was agreeing that he would put up $40,000 for the equity. And then he would put up $30,000 for um, the furnishing cost for the furniture. Mm-hmm. So in total, he was going to put in $70,000. And then at the end of the three year term on our agreement for sale, he was going to be ready to, to assume the mortgage and qualify for it. So he got in, he just had to give me some money. He had to just get the documents ready. Then I was doing everything with facilitating, negotiating the deal, talking with the existing tenants in the property and uh, like dealing with all that kind of stuff. So it ended up working out. Uh, one problem with agreements for sale is you need to make sure that all the lawyers are competent in agreements mm-hmm. for sale. Yeah. So there, there ended up being three parties in this one. And one of the lawyers just was not going to get his head around it. No. So the deal ended up falling apart, but yeah. that was uh, the most recent one. Another one was we picked up a um, house uh, just on one of the suburbs in, uh, in a place called St. Albert, yeah. uh, six bedroom house. I, we found it looked amazing. Um, it needed a lot of work. So we ended up going with the burst strategy. So I went, found a money partner. He put up $150,000 down and I called him up. And initially I said to him, um, Hey man, I got a, a burr property popping up. Uh, are you interested? And he's like, mm, well, I don't know. Uh, can you tell me more about it? And so then, and this is one thing I always recommend to people, like don't call somebody up, say, this is the property and um, it's in this area and it's going to be a boom. You need to kind of give them the big picture of what's going to be. So mm-hmm. instead I just said, hey man, there is literally in this little suburb, no Airbnbs. This is going to be the first big one in the area. Compare uh, my other one in Shore Park, which is another suburb. It makes like this amount of money per month. I think it's, I told them on average, it pulls in between seven to 10,000. This property will probably do even better than that because that one actually has competitors. This one doesn't. So we're going to go into that property. We're looking to do uh, just a burr, nothing crazy. We're just looking to do new paint on the walls, new flooring, new baseboards. It just needs a face. Nothing yeah. crazy. Uh, we're thinking about maybe like cutting a hole in one of these walls for visuals, but we haven't decided on that yet. Initially, we're looking at it. We're going to need probably about $100,000 for renos, and we're going to need about like $30,000 for furniture, and then we want $20,000. It's just a buck. Contingency, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. contingency, because you never can hold the costs and lawyers and all that stuff. Mm. So I went and I I talked to him about it that way, and then he was able to see it. And then after I told him about that, uh, then he was able to be like, okay, sounds great. Send me the numbers. I send it in. He looks at the numbers. We're good to go. So that property, oh, that's, that's exciting. So Carlos, what, where do you see yourself going in the next 12 months or so? Or what, what are you focusing on? Are you looking to buy more properties either on your own or with joint venture partners and bring them into the portfolio that way? Or you want to, what are you planning on doing? Well, um, so I'm a little bit more creative than your average guy. So mm-hmm. I always look for opportunities and hard to see places. And like your typical real estate investor, I'm broke, like everyone else is. <laughs> we always need more money for more deals. Yeah. But one thing I found that's really, really interesting. Um, are you familiar? Like, I'm, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with land banking. 
with land banking. banking. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So you, you buy a nice piece of property and then you hold on to it with the intent in 10, 20 years that the city's going to grow up to it or something like that. Mm-hmm. So the one thing about land banking though, is you're always restricted with what you can do in the property without mm-hmm. having a ton of extra like costs associated, just mm-hmm. running power to a property is just 10 to $40,000. Right. However, one thing that you can typically do depending on zoning um, is you can put a bunch of little um, tents, yurts, dome mm-hmm. tents, mobile homes that are like astro barons that have been done up to the nines. You can put a bunch of these temporary structures and those can be put on Airbnb. They go for a premium. It's called glamping. People book it like crazy. And you can put like 20 of these on a plane. What do you do? Porta pot? What do you do for bathrooms and stuff like that? Uh, in that if it's small, I'll do porta potty system. If it's big, mm-hmm. I'll actually put in like not an septic. outhouse, but but essentially a septic system. Yeah. 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 And that's cool. and putting a septic system doesn't require a lot of permits. It yes. just requires one for the septic tank itself. They don't care about the building on top because it's under hundred square feet. Right. Uh, so like by doing that, we're able to pick up this property. And then cash flow like crazy. Because that's the hardest thing with land banking is it's really hard to cash There's flow. No cash flow. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Ten but here we are able to cash flow. And then in 20 years, we have this asset that already has a history of making money. So we can sell it as a business. Or we can sell the land to a developer. Or we can develop it ourselves. Or then mm-hmm. there's a ton of options with it. We can build houses on it. We can build a regular house. Yeah. We can just keep it as a farm. If we really wanted to, we can go back to farming. There's a whole bunch of opportunities with that. And so what the only cash is, though, that land banking is very cash intensive. So mm-hmm. I have a couple of joint venture partners. I, I met this one guy. You, you might have talked to him, Jeremy. He's he's really good at raising capital. And I'm okay at raising capital. And mm-hmm. I just said to him, hey, man, how about this? I'll take 50% of the deal. You take 50% of the deal. However you want to divide it up with the money partners is entirely up to you. And just go find the money. And then I'll make sure that everything else happens. And that was a really good deal. We're working on that together. Uh, right now, the zoning is the big thing that's holding us back because every county has different zoning. And even though right. they have the same w- words for things, an accommodation in Sturgeon County is very different from an accommodation in um, Strathcona County. And well, that's, then, a, that's an exciting project. Are you going to kind of put the Airbnb stuff, the short-term rental stuff, you know, growing that? Are you going to put that on hold while you're doing that? Or are you going to keep doing both at the same time? I keep doing both at the same time. Right. So as far as the short-term rentals type stuff goes, how is how are you going to be growing that? What does that look like for you, Carlos? So I definitely see an opportunity in the market, probably it'll close here in the next two years of getting joint ventures or sorry, getting agreements for sales where there's really cheap underlying mortgages with, mm-hmm. you know, one, two, three percent interest rates. Right. Yeah. So it's definitely something we're moving really quickly on. I already have two more deals I'm going to look at today. Uh, there's a most there's a lot of people who are underwater on their homes, and I'm getting it's, it's really tough because I'm getting a lot of people coming at me with variable interest rates. They're all mm-hmm. frustrated because they have variable interest rates. Yeah. The fixed payment interest rates as well are a bit of a little bit of a time bomb depending mm-hmm. on how the future goes because a lot of people balloon. don't. Yeah, some sort of a balloon oh. at the end. Yeah, a lot of people don't know, but like. Even if your if your interest rate goes too high, you'll have negative amortization. But when you go up for renewal at the end of the time period, they restructure it. So, like let's say you got a twenty five year mortgage, you've had a negative amortization for five years because your payments stay the same. Yeah. At the end of that time, though, they restructure it with a twenty year. They don't oh, restructure wow. it with twenty five. So yeah, it's, they want to get their money back faster. Yeah, no, exactly. So you're so looking. Lot- so you look. You're looking to do more agreements for sale, but buying these big kind of houses. The Six, five, six, eight bedroom type 
properties to, is, is that what I'm understanding or? Yeah. So yeah. I'm going to be picking those up because that's like the bread and butter and the land yeah. banking is kind of like the big. Yeah. That's the long-term the play. Yeah. That's exciting stuff. Awesome. Carlos time flies when we're having fun, man. If people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, what's the number one place they can go to connect with you? I've just made a new Facebook group, uh, Canadian short-term rental investors. Nice. I just started it last month. So they can, that's the easiest place to find me. I'll always see everything on there. Uh, outside of that, shoot me a message on Facebook. Uh, hopefully I'll respond. I get a lot of them, so I'll do my best too. But the Facebook group is probably the best way to get hold of me. Awesome. Very good. Thanks very much, Carlos. And congratulations on what you've accomplished and this exciting new plan that you've got as well. Yeah. Awesome. It's been great talking to you. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Take care. We'll see you on the next episode.